Hey, Andrew. Hey, Greg. You've returned from across the sea from your uh, honeymoon in Dorne. Yes, in Dorne. I mean, Spain. I mean, yeah, Dorne. You were across the narrow sea, I guess. You were there for like more than th- almost three weeks, right? Almost three weeks, correct. And you left me here alone. I did during to- one of the most harrowing moments of our time. <laughs> so, did you enjoy your? Did you enjoy your travels? I did immensely. Uh, Spain is a beautiful country with wonderful people, wonderful food and drink. Uh, it's hard not to take for granted the natural and constructive beauty in all the places we visited. Uh, understandable why many of those things are used for film things like Game of Thrones or Star Wars. And now you've returned to the equally scenic suburbs of Philadelphia. Yes, back to the world of... <laughs> Traffic and rain and humidity and Donald Trump. <laughs> Wonderful. So I guess we should just like catch up. It, I mean, you you haven't been gone long, but it feels like a long time. Yeah, and it also feels like we haven't really had a free form discussion. We've always we were we're doing the the Game of Thrones thing, uh, you know, which is over now, thank God. Uh, and we we're doing the metal thing, which we're gonna get back to. Yes. Uh, and we're doing, you know, movie reviews, quick and dirty, and the end game, and the, and the yeah. other, Captain Marvel. And I feel like we haven't really like talked about like what we're, what we've been into. You know, we no, we haven't. It's been, it's been some time since we've talked about things that we were into just because we want to be, not because it's a some kind of cultural event that we've been committed to by the tidal forces of American popular culture. Right, right. And also, like, just, like, what's going on? We got some, like, E3 stuff right now. Yeah. I know there's one thing in particular that you are feeling very torn about. Yeah, it's tough. (laughs) Uh So so where do we begin? Should we... Let's talk about books. Okay. We're not going to... Well, I feel like if, if, if we don't get your... I mean, you and I should talk about Game of Thrones for at least, like... A minute. Okay, let's do a non-spoiler Game of Thrones in case people who are listening to this, the other ones are very obviously Game of Thrones reviews, but you don't want to surprise it on somebody right now. I don't know. I think, I mean, it's like the biggest TV show in the world. Like, I, I, I think at this point, you know, I guess if you, um, if you for some reason care about Game of Thrones, but still are not caught, not caught up by this point and have like unplugged your router or whatever it is to prevent <laughs> I guess skip ahead like five ten minutes and because it's, it's it's impossible to discuss without spoiling so let's so give me your brain dump because you and I haven't really talked about it in any detail since you've been back yeah I mean I I our our illustrious friend Michael stood in and I, I think that your guys thoughts on it you know, were very similar to mine. I, at this point, my hopes were so shattered that I didn't really feel like terrible about the episode because it was like, well, this show's already going to shit. So, right. uh, it's whatever. I mean, there were some particularly egregious things of just like carelessness and just complete non conformity with the canon that the show, you know, had developed and the books rely on. Uh, particularly just the King's Moot was just really bad. Right. <laughs> Although so I will say I disagree. I liked, uh, um, Edmund Tully's like stand up, like ah, uh, it's a it's a heavy burden, but I'll take it, dude. Shut up, no one likes you. Like I, I enjoyed that piece yeah. of that. No, That's I, the only I, thing I liked because that felt very nice in character. Moment. But let's uh, let's let's zoom out a little bit because okay. I feel like the the nits have all been picked. 
mm-hmm. from the final episode. And there's nothing that was wrong with the final episode that wasn't wrong with the final season, right? Final two or three seasons, yes. Yeah. It, it was... I don't think any of us expected the show to drastically reverse course in the final episode. But zooming out and thinking about Game of Thrones, the television show, as a complete thing, because now it is a complete thing. Uh-huh. What would you say your feelings are on the whole thing? Just the Game of Thrones front to back as a complete work? Yeah. Well... I mean, having recently rewatched, you know, most of seasons one through or somewhere in four, and I think Shay might have fallen off the horse, I'm kind of like, eh, maybe that's okay. Um, although I would like to maybe see the reaction of someone who's, you know, not in it as heavily. But mm-hmm. I, I think that it's still something I would recommend, both for cultural awareness and just because those first couple seasons are really good television and I think change the game in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. I think hopefully when people are building these new fantasy shows or any kind of show, they look back at those first seasons and go, this was cool. These other things weren't cool. Let's do that instead. And, you know, I think it it really was a point in history where like media history where it, it proved that you don't have to play to the lowest common denominator and, you know, assume your audiences are a bunch of idiots because um, that first season is, is like complicated like even watching it now i'm like it may be to the point of like they should have cleaned a couple things up but um you know just keeping track of everybody and everything that's not something a lot of tv viewers are used to mm-hmm. um i'd be curious to compare it to something i mean i guess the big thing around game of thrones is that the ending in particular like the end of the, the climax isn't really that important to me i mean it is in that i you know you always want to know how a story ends but george R. martin has built such a rich world that any ending is gonna feel like just another beginning because there's so many points in the series where you're like any other book series would have ended at this or, you know, took a break or whatever. And, you know, the TV show echoes that for a long time where the story itself is compelling, not just the ending where I feel like and I can't speak for this, but maybe you can say something like a show like Lost, where the ending is a big part of what the show is leading or building around and leading to and knowing that it's shitty makes it feel bad. That's an assumption I've made. Am I right or wrong? So I do think the ending of Game of Thrones matters because I feel like what Game of Thrones is about, what A Song of Ice and Fire is about, is bigger than just the the action beats of the story and, you know, wrapping up character arcs. I, I, it, I do think it has something to say about systems and about human nature and power and all those things and i think that the ending is is the point where you you know kind of finalize that thesis and tie it all up and um make it clear so i feel like that's important for game of thrones uh sorry no that's important important for song of ice and fire now how it compares to lost i think the problem for lost is and this is probably my problem is that I kept holding out hope that Lost was a mystery show. And thinking back to where I was in 2006 or whenever Lost finished, um, I still, for some stupid reason, thought that somehow in the final episode it was going to quickly steer out of the skid and tie itself all up and actually have been a mechanistic mystery show and not just a 
more impressionistic. It's all about these characters and their relationships, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I should have known better. I should have known that after like season three, it was, it had given up on being mechanistic. It had given up on being a mystery show. But for some reason, I kept wanting it to prove everybody wrong. And I don't think I wanted it. I expected the same thing of Game of Thrones. I think I was more curious because it was like, well, it's supposed to be Martin's ending in the broad strokes. So maybe by knowing the ending, it'll still, I'll understand whether or not it's going to pay off on what the books have been setting up. And I think that I'm no clearer on on that because I think that they took the elements of Martin's ending and made it fit the show that they were that they had turned it into. So, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think that, like you said, we, the conjecture around what exactly he told them and what they did with that is, is going to be internet fodder for the next, you know, however long it takes him to write winds of winter and dream of spring. So forever. Uh, and interestingly, you know, and I think it is an interesting thought process to see how someone takes what could have been very detailed outlines or just vague, like, ah, like, you know, and so and so ends up on the throne and this kind of happens. Like, it could be anywhere anywhere in between that, you know? So uh, I, I do think, you know, that is interesting. I do think that for me, like, the points that Martin has made are made in the show enough in the early part that while I do want to see, like, you know, the complete picture and the thesis at the end, I still kind of feel like I get the point of this. Yeah. And it's not something like, even thinking back to, like, a Battlestar Galactica where it's kind of like, once again... There's a mechanistic mystery going on of sort of like, what's the deal with this and that? And just getting just like, oh, no, God, like <laughs> just kind of felt real, real dumb where, you know, less so in execution, because I actually think like, you know, there's some really good stuff in those last last season, particularly the actual last episode is quite good. It's just that the actual thesis is bad, but um, or the, the actual you know explanation is yeah. bad. But so, I mean, I think that I'm curious, I'm more curious about. There's a lot of conjecture, you know, and I, you know, for some reason I'm back into the Song of Ice and Fire server, like looking around and reading stuff, because now we've got so much more information about, well, we kind of know it ends like this. So like you said before in previous episodes, like how do we fill in the gaps? Like how does, how do we get from point, point books leaving off to rough ending uh, and, and going from there? But I think that I'm at this point more interested in its effect on other stories moving forward in this new space of just like, you know, triple a genre television which is which is you know been going on for a while now but i think is about to hit like an even higher level of saturation with all these uh fantasy and sci-fi shows being continued or released and different different facets and like what people what's people's takeaway from game of thrones of what people liked and what audiences like and what networks like and what content creators like uh or think is important i'll be curious and like you know how when you're trying to take a story like A Wheel of Time or a setting like Lord of the Rings, how much are they drawing from this or contrasting with this to make something interesting? I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it's I do think it's it's interesting because there's been so much written about what went wrong in the last season, well, last seasons. And I think one of the things that really crystallized it for me was an article that I'll try to remember to put in the show notes. Um, on Scientific American uh, by, and apologies for this, for not being able to get this name right, but Zainab Tufeki um, about a, the fundamental shift that happened in Game of Thrones was from sociological storytelling to psychological storytelling. And that the early seasons and the books 
are sociological storytelling. They are really about systems and society and the impact that has on people and how people are corrupted or frustrated by the systems around them. And that is kind of the essence of what it is. And that's why it can kill main characters and it can bounce around and you can have these complex characters and you can see how Cersei is in many ways a victim of her circumstances. And um, but then once the, the writers of the show ran out of book material, them being traditional Hollywood writers only knew how to tell a psychological story, which is about individual characters and their psychological journeys, right? And as a result, they cut out all the things that made it interesting and they fumbled the ending because they didn't know what the story they were trying to tell. They didn't they didn't understand that they were trying to that the pieces of this ending are supposed to be a commentary on the systems of Westeros, not just um not just what happens to these characters. Um But I think that because you're getting articles like this and about such a popular show and the people are thinking about the show in these terms, I think is great because I'm hopeful that we get more sociological storytelling um, in popular culture because I think it's super duper needed. We need to start thinking about systems in a bigger way. Um, And traditionally, that's only been the province of sci-fi. And for a fantasy story to actually be a commentary on like government and patriarchy and that level of analysis, that's awesome. I just wish that Benioff and Weiss had known that and followed through with it. But I'm hopeful that somewhere somebody realizes that's what made Game of Thrones great and they will take it and follow through with it entirely. Do I think that a Wheel of Time show is going to do that? (laughs) No. Do I think that a Middle Earth show is going to do that? No. Do I think that further Game of Thrones spinoffs are going to do that? No. (laughs) Uh, What about Witcher show? (laughs) No. (laughs) Maybe. Actually. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. The Witcher does have... At least from what I know of the game, again, I know that there's a very rich literature world of the Witcher series, but I feel like it understands that some of that matters. So, yeah. And, um, you know, that's a, a good I agree with that. I mean, I definitely think it's it's that is a good analysis, interesting interpretation. I also think it's just like, you know, lots of other things like execution and yes. that kind of thing. But um, yeah, I mean, it's disappointing as someone who really was into this and still is into the book universe. You know, I saw someone in the airport reading uh, Blood and Fire or Fire and Blood, whatever it is, the Targaryen history, which apparently is quite interesting to read. Um, And I do agree. And one thing to, so this is a good dovetail into things I just read, Mm -hmm. uh, commentary on systems in fantasy works. Uh, As you know, I've been sort of making my way through Robin Hobb, who started writing around the same time Martin did, or sorry, publishing, I should say, um, getting popular in, in her works, uh, first trilogy being the Farseer trilogy. Um, and then her, her total, her realm of the elderlings, which is what her like world is, you know, she refers to her kind of built world is, and most of her books exist in that world. Um, 16 books. Yeah. Four trilogies and a four 
book series. And I just, on vacation, on honeymoon, I finished the third, the second trilogy, which was very different than the first trilogy. Uh, I mean, you see, like you said, this is a, uh, you know, it is personal, it is psychological, but there's a lot of sociological elements in the same way that Martin does. It's mm-hmm. not done in the same way. It's maybe a little bit more, less political and more, more social, I'd say, uh, in that, so the first book, you know, first trilogy was a pretty straightforward, um, you know, first person point of view, single perspective, young boy trying to figure out his way in this weird world of Kings and eventually maybe some magic, uh, fine. Had some twists and turns that I think were pretty weird for a fantasy series in the early nineties and, you know, definitely not what I was expecting when I first picked it up. I was expecting just another sort of like Lord of the Rings, but kind of like this, <laughs> um, which is sort of what Wheel of Time starts as. Uh, the second trilogy, which I mentioned a while ago, and I, it took me a while because each book is like a thousand pages, which was a big jump from like three and four hundred page reads. And maybe so now we're in third person. We're in, you know, somewhere between the realm of probably 10 to 15 point of view characters, including Dragons, sea serpents, uh, <laughs> young girls, old women, uh, living boats. <laughs> um, so we're kind of in weird territory. Uh, and the most important, probably, point of view character is a lawful, I'm just going to put it in DD terms, a lawful evil pirate with a 20 charisma score. <laughs> <laughs> and the, you know, the complaints about this series, the trilogy I have called Lightship Traders series basically completely independent of the first trilogy kind of just takes place a different part of the world they reference some things here and there you know oh did you hear that blah blah blah. yeah kind of but you know whatever uh very much part of a bigger universe but not part of a single cohesive story yet uh a lot of good world building very interesting stuff definitely some like a little more in the weird more metaphysical kind of fantasy some me of you kind of stuff more than not quite as weird as me of you but hmm. you know like just like not just like definitely not a sanderson definitely not a wheel of time or like here's this logical magic system and all these things it's kind of like oh but it's all about your like spirit and your you know anima and, and like these kind of things so um and memory and power of that whatever but the characters it puts out are really complex, really interesting, go through very interesting character arcs, a lot of mystery, could have used some trimming, it's just pretty slow reading, uh, I wasn't ever, like, disengaged, which just, like, you know, it's not, definitely not, like, an action-packed Game of Thrones or Wheel of Time or anything like that, it's very just, like, I mean, you're talking about traitors mostly, and it's very good ship, like, if you like boats and pirates and that kind of thing, it's got a lot of that, uh, but what I'm getting to is that it gets starts to get difficult to read towards the end mm-hmm. because and don't jump to conclusions here. because I'm to describe a section of things that happen in the last book. So spoilers, I guess <laughs> um, I'll try and be vague as possible. This lawful evil pirate who you've been following and you sort of, you know, you know, he's evil. And they make a point of kind of every once in a while reminding you like, hey, this guy's like evil. His first thoughts in most situations when someone gets in his way is like, I should probably kill this person. And he's sort of evil in the like, I have a way of the way I think the world should work. And that way is good, right? Like he has good goals for the world, but his methods for getting there are very bad. And he also just is essentially a sociopath, just like doesn't understand empathy, doesn't get it. She writes that very well because even someone will just like bump into him and be like, oh, I just, I think I should just kill that person. Like, mm-hmm. they're just annoying me. And so 
But everyone, he's so charismatic that everyone just, like, eats up his shit. And you start to, like, you get his perspective and you're getting characters around his perspective that, are, like, admire him and he's doing all this good stuff. He's – their big thing is fighting slavers and freeing slaves who then become pirates and all these kind of things. So you're like, no, by then, you know, you're kind of like, oh, maybe he's not so bad. And then you have a sequence of events where he rapes one of our other point of view characters huh. in a sequence of events where before it happens, you're in his his point of view. During it happening, you're in her point of view. And then afterwards, you're in his point of view. <clears throat> huh. And this is towards the climax of the third book, essentially. And at first, you're like, whoa, what the fuck? And it was, don't tell me wrong, it was a difficult thing to read. Sure. Uh, and then proceeded, you know, the woman in this situation, she was hurt and she was drugged. And, <clears throat> you know, so she came out and she accused him and everyone on the boat, including her best friends, were like, Maybe you imagined it. Maybe he, you know, are you sure he didn't, you know, kind of want it? And very currently poignant given the all, you know, this book was written in, I don't know, like the mid to late 90s. It's pretty like ahead of its time in presenting that, I think. And it was definitely not presented in any sort of like titillating way. I mean, there is a lot of sexual assault in these books, but it's it's design. It's it really explores the effect it has on people. Uh -huh. Um, the, the victims particularly, and sort of like the consistent effect, definitely better than like how, for example, Sansa's story was handled in the show. Yeah. Um, the one character, other character who also gets raped earlier in the book has just like crippling PTSD most of the books, you know, and the feeling of fear being around, you know, men and the intimidation and, and sort of the things that go through your head when you're after that situation. And the other case, it becomes very clear towards the end of the book that this book series is, a commentary on the cycle of abuse uh -huh. and how abuse begets abuse and how, you know, what the power of memory and, and there's sort of an explanation for why the pirate is evil. I think I can interpret it, but it's, it's a, it's a loose allusion to like, you know, this guy was heavily abused physically, mentally, and sexually. And it basically destroyed his ability to feel and have empathy. And because this is a medieval world of patriarchy and machoism, like, the only way to proceed is in this fashion and a really like just interesting presentation of that. And I think handled in a way that is as important and hard to read, but like powerful as it, as it should be, I guess, given its time. So yeah, that was pretty heavy. Uh, but like the last book in particular was like very, very interesting. And also there's like dragons and stuff. So, <laughs> you know, but, uh, it was, there's a lot going on, and, I, and like the more I think about it, the more I like it. Uh, at the time, it was you're not seeing all the pieces that are in action until you kind of all it all kind of comes together, and you're like, ah, oh, I kind of get this now. So a lot of commentary on the role, you know, role of men and women and the patriarchy, and the way that you know it's very easy to take a stark, you know, gender role medieval or Renaissance s society and sort of juxtapose it with what we know, but in other parts of the world or whatever mm -hmm. that don't have that same thing. So yeah. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, why should traders was, and you know, a, an exploration of complexit complexity in, in the cycle of abuse. I also told myself I was going to jump into not something Robin Hobb, but I liked the last book so much and they started to kind of tie some things back to the original trilogy. I was like, all right, well, first, I'll just go on the next one. I'm already like 75% through the <laughs> first book of the next trilogy, which jumps back to our, goes back to the first trilogy essentially 15 years later and picks up from the same first person point of view kind of perspective. And that's kind of her pattern. She kind of jumps around. And I guess the last trilogy will sort of tie everything together. It's, it's all done. So, uh, but not sure we're going to see that one adapted to TV, but 
Yeah. Uh, uh, sounds a little under the radar, but yeah. So, uh, any thoughts? Uh, it sounds a lot more intense than what I kind of assumed based on other conversations we'd had about it. Yeah, it, it definitely like didn't appear that way at first, and then it sort of became that over time, which was an interesting sort of feeling. A lot of books kind of set their tone straight up, right? But, yeah. Yeah. It was always very serious, you know, always very, like I said, it's not like a good old adventure romp. It's just like, yeah, it's kind of bad and we got to deal with this stuff. And yeah, it sounds a lot more grim, dark than, um, you know, what I was kind of taking from the titles and the broad strokes descriptions. Yes. Yeah, no, for sure. I was in the same boat. That's why this whole, and even the first trilogy is pretty, pretty grim, dark, you know, and this current one I'm reading now is also like, uh, okay. Uh, so I guess it wasn't just, I mean, just like it's sort of, you, you have this, you know, the cultural context and what you understand about like, oh, what was really 90s fantasy like? And you're like, oh, it was all this thing. And this was what Martin was rebelling against. And it's like, well, was it? Like, is that just like a, a, a fabrication that we kind of made? Because I'm not sure. I'm, I'm curious. Oh, no. I mean, there's this, there's never a case in any kind of art where everything was going one way and then there was one guy who, you know, kind of stood athwart the tide. No, I mean, it's always because whatever it was that Martin had grown tired and frustrated with and was pushing back against, there's no way he was the only person in the world who saw those same things and wanted to push back. Right. You know, it, it, things reach a kind of a boiling point and then there's a backlash, just like Nirvana was not the first or only quote unquote grunge band. Right. Like, there, there were plenty of, uh, of you know, artists who were frustrated with um, 80s, late 80s, like glam arena rock and wanted to do hard rock in a in a way that was counter to that it wasn't just nirvana but nirvana was the most you know popular or you could argue best no you, know, they, you can't well <laughs> you know so george r. r martin is the same kind of thing like you know yeah. he certainly didn't invent um grimdark fantasy and there was other parallel thought he was probably just became the most popular because in a lot of ways he was probably doing it the best you know i'm sure that there are other factors about his work being promoted while other people's were not and all those other little kind of fortunes of history that you know why were the beatles the biggest band it wasn't just because they happened to be writing the best songs of a you know new rock and roll movement there were other factors but mm -hmm. yeah yeah uh, yeah, so anyway, what have you been, you've been, you're just been slugging through Oathbringer, right? Yeah, I'm still charging through, uh, Brandon Sanderson's Oathbringer, and I, I do this with his work a lot, is that I like where it's going, and then you get to the end of one of the books, and so much cool stuff happens right at the end that you really want to dive right into the next one, and then, and then the next one just kind of washes over me and I kind of lose track of things and I'm not sure what's happening in book to book because I just kind of go into binge mode with it. And I do this with TV shows too. And I need to like remind myself to stop and slow down mm -hmm. because midway through the season of a show, I'll kind of zoom out a little bit and, you know, start goofing around on the computer or whatever. And all of a sudden I realize I've been missing a lot of it. And that's where I'm at with these books. So I might take a break from it and go do another thing for a while 
because I feel like I'm just not as plugged in as I could be, and I don't want to blame that necessarily on the book. However, I will say I'm I'm right now at a point in the book where and I'm this now we're like two thirds of the way into like the third book in a series that feels like the third chapter of a trilogy that and I know this this particular storyline is multiple kind of trilogies, but all of a sudden now I'm just in like a training montage. They're, it's basically the characters are playing fantasy paintball with each other in the kind of scene where you'd use to like introduce a new kind of magic or a new power set or a new character. But it's an old character who's already really good at magic doing like the same kind of magic, but with some new extras that I don't care about. And I'm just like, I do not need this fucking Quidditch scene in that this stage in the story. So I might take a break from Oathbringer and, and go get into some other stuff because I just can't with this right now. Yeah, I know the scene you're talking about. And that was definitely a weird, a weird choice. I definitely felt that Oathbringer of the three had some of the worst pacing issues, hmm. even though I, I liked, I thought I enjoyed Dalinar's backstory, yes. which is like, much, like more than I enjoyed Kaladin's or Shalons, Shalons, whatever his name is, Shalon. I don't know. Shalon. That's how they say um, they say Shalon in the audiobook. Okay, <laughs> like more than I enjoyed their backstories, and the I did enjoy the greater scale and the geopolitics of Oathbringer slightly more. Like I enjoyed that aspect being added to it. Yeah, I just think the pacing. You know, having everyone in Yuritho, Yurithiru, Yurithiru, like. For like the first half of the book was like okay, there's a reason the fantasy book split the party. Like, do it, please. Yeah. Um, I did really like the stuff around Alethkar, the stuff where they're in the city, and then going into the cognitive realm. But Shadesmar, uh, some weird stuff in there. But yeah, I feel like that's where he dumps all of his half half formed ideas. Probably. <laughs> um, but you know, knowing its context and the greater things, yeah. it's. There's a lot of uh, little little nods and things where you're just like, and I like when I like when characters encounter. I like out of place things because you know this is like a place where the worlds are a little closer, if you'd say, and there's a lot of interconnection. So the way people talk or the way some of the items they have, you're like, that seems a little like anachronistic, and it's like well, that's because it is. Like when they're in the you were in the part where they're in the lighthouse, they meet that one guy. Yeah. And they get the food from them and they're either like talking about canned food and they're just like, what is this? Like, how do you like little metal pucks? And they're like, what is there's food in there? And it's like, oh, yeah, it's from a different place. It's like further along in their like industrial development, essentially. I like little things like that. So this is and that's why I feel like maybe you should read some Gene Wolfe next because and maybe that's why I don't like his Sanderson's cognitive realm stuff as much because it feels like he's just trying to be Gene Wolfe. Mm. And I'm like, Gene Wolfe is much better at being Gene Wolfe. Uh, <laughs> actually, Gene Wolfe died. Uh, he did. Recently. Um, yeah. Which was, uh, he was he was an old man and, and had a great career. So, I and, you know, there's no, like, um, it's not like a great tragedy, uh, you know. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, I feel like that sort of thing where everything's kind of weird and out of place and strange that's really kind of his style and he does it so much I think better than Sanderson does because with Sanderson where you know he's everything is so logically laid out and clearly defined um it's such a jump for him to just throw a bunch of weirdness at you whereas that's all you get from Gene Wolfe so it just feels a little bit more I don't know 
So yeah, I should... think I think the weirdness in the cognitive realm, I think it is all bound by like there's reasons for all yeah. of that. And I think that's sort of like some of the fun of it is figuring out the reasons, but And that's yeah. and that's the way, you know, Gene Wolfe's stuff is too. Like eventually gotcha. almost all of it will click into place, um, for the most part, but so you so you know like when sometimes when like a hard rock band is like this is our metal song and you're yeah. like okay fine but maybe I'll just go listen to a metal band yeah or it's that vice versa of, yeah even it's, worse it's that well yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's that kind of thing where you're like I see what you're getting at Sanderson but man if this is the kind of thing you like where like things are just coming in from left field and like what the hell is this. This feels like a character from an entirely different universe. That's, I mean, that is the entire um, uh, New Sun series. So you should read that next. Maybe not next, because I need to get... Is it fantasy, or is it... Um, Yes. Um, It definitely definitely begins fantasy, and then it kind of shifts into sci-fi a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, it becomes pretty clear early on in the in the first book that this fantasy world you're in is actually a very distant future. Mm. But um, yeah, I would say it is uh, the pie chart of fantasy versus sci-fi is much heavier fantasy. Gotcha. That's I mean, clearly I have no self-control over what I you know at this point of ever being like, I should really take a fantasy break and go have some sci-fi. And just like, nah. <laughs> I, oh, I did read like the vast majority of a nonfiction Spanish history book when I was traveling in Spain. So I give myself you a pat in the back nerd. for that. Uh, I needed to, man. I needed to have the context. I guess. And the background. You know how I am. I, I guess. I know everything. It's true. It's true. Uh, <laughs> it, all, it all makes sense in my head. Um, it was helpful, actually. Uh, I would recommend. The Cambridge, the Cambridge um, concise histories are very nice, sort of approachable, but not popular history. If anybody's looking for, they have one for each country and other topics. But anyway, uh, cool. Uh, you know, I I get where you're at. I would say that since you're kind of two thirds in, maybe it's worthwhile just to like push through. But you know, before you forget everything, and then. But I get it. I guess sometimes you got to take a take a palate cleanser break. Yeah. Well, and I feel like I want to come back to it when I'm able to like. Yeah. Enjoy it and and give it more attention. You know, I get to certain points with with anything, and and it's never it's rarely the fault of the book or the show or whatever. It's not its fault. It's you know my uh, my ADHD mm-hmm. where I I just I I need to go and and do another thing before I can come back and really give the first thing, my, my full attention again. And I want to give it my full attention. I don't want to just kind of skim over the surface. Like I, like I can, when I kind of get into this mode. So, yeah, that makes sense. I get that. I've been definitely feeling that way with certain TV shows when I was binging too fast, you know, to your earlier point or not really paying attention to, there's a time where I was like a brief, there's a very solid time in my life. I can think of like maybe a year ago to two years ago where I was just like doing that with a lot of shows and not really letting them soak in. And I've tried to avoid that because yeah. I definitely wasn't enjoying it. Um, speaking of shows, mm-hmm. you've been watching anything good. Well, um, obviously game of Thrones was kind of the big TV show, but, uh, the Karen and I watched what we do in the shadows on FX, which just finished its first season and was very, very good. Um, obviously it is a, it's a series based on the the feature film directed 
uh, and starring Taika Waititi um, and also Jermaine Clement. Excellent comedy, kind of a, you know, a mockumentary about three vampires living in modern day New Zealand. (laughs) And it's great. But the new show is it's three different vampires um, living in uh, Staten Island. And it's phenomenal. Matt Berry is one of the three vampires and I can never get enough Matt Berry, uh, which also, so when I finished What We Do in the Shadows, it just ran through Toast of London on Netflix again, but, um, cause that's just the world I live in now, but it's really, really good. It's, it's, it's really, really funny. It's, um, it's executive produced by Tom Sharpling of the best show. And he's, you know, so he's in the writer's room doing a great job. Um, there's a really fantastic episode with a vampire council, which is just full of nerdy vampire movie references. Um, really good. A lot of great guest stars. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed, uh, and it, it's yeah, super funny, super good. What we do in the shadows, go watch it. Would you say you need to watch the movie no, to watch the show? Absolutely not. I mean, you okay. should, you should watch the movie cause it's really good. Right. Um, and, but they do a good job of not just kind of doing what the U S office did of just like, Hey, what if we just make the U- the first two seasons of the UK show, but with our actors, uh-huh. Like they definitely just take the premise and completely go their own way with it. They don't recycle any of the storylines or jokes or That's anything from the first movie other than the premise of they're vampires and their roommates. So they have little roommate problems, but they're also vampires like that kind of general premise is there. But no, there's no there's no real overlap or anything um, that you need to think about. No canon story elements that really need to be known. No, no. <laughs> I'm sure that's the main focus of these kind of shows. Um, what have I been watching? I've been watching... I decided I really needed a, a power cleanser from Game of Thrones, so I decided to jump back into some some BTV, if uh-huh. you will. Boy, all this AAA nonsense. So I, I jumped back into Supernatural Season 14. Good God. Because uh, it got posted on Netflix after it was done. I started it, but I kind of fell off and, and didn't keep up. But I figured, eh, it's all in there now. It's easy to watch. So, And you know what? It's, it's not so bad. It's pretty. It's pretty good actually. Um, the past couple of seasons have been this repeating cycle of just like being pretty good all season and then really blowing it on the finale and hoping they can avoid that this round because next season will be the last season, season fifteen. And I figure at this point, when you've watched that much of a show, you might as well just finish it out, right? Sunk being cost fallacy. Yes, but <laughs> it's not like I don't know. It's not like someone who's like, oh, I've watched this much The Simpsons, gotta keep watching. Like this show is not gonna be on forever. So, uh, yeah. And I also am watching the second season of the Sabrina show, which I actually think is is pretty pretty good. Like, yeah, I keep meaning to watch it. It's weird in the right way that I think. I mean, you probably get a little bored with someone like the we're teenagers, but it's not quite. It's not like it's not done in the CW way where it's like too present and there's the weirdness and like just like the goofiness of just like a bunch of this people. A bunch of the people in the show literally worship Satan, so they're always just like, you know, like, just a lot of things they say and do in mannerisms and, like, you know, little turns of phrases are all just, like, funny because just, like... Yeah, I want to watch a show about Satanists, for sure. And also the fact that, like, Satan is in the show and he's not, like some sexy sexy he's just like a goat-headed demon and it's like yes please thank you (laughs) into it into it yeah yeah so and like it's pretty yeah it's pretty gruesome and got some but it's it's just like fun and you know it's it's got some really good like uh for lack of a term like progressive element storylines concerning like 
LGBT and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, which I think is, is, I've heard some complaints about some of the handling, but I feel like these kind of things are, I think for your average person, they're going to be like, oh, this is, this is thoughtful. This is, I'm learning something about what it means to be trans and these kind of things. So, um, and the, and the acting's actually like pretty good. I actually really like, uh, don't know her name. She was, she played the, um, daughter on, uh, Mad Men. Kieran Shipkin? Is that right? like that. Yeah, I think that's right. And she's pretty good in it, and and I like the ants as well. So it's definitely not not the sitcom Buffy, so or Sabrina. Ah, sorry. No. So the tongue uh, is a four-inch slip there, if I ever was one, because I've been really craving that. But this show kind of scratches that itch. So um, Shay and I have been watching. Uh, we started that Good Girls show. That's pretty funny. Um, nothing nothing groundbreaking, but pretty solid. And what we are finishing and really enjoying is the last season of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, the fourth season is on Netflix now, and it's it's the last one. And you know, a show that really took a weird turn in the middle of it, um, which supposedly was always planned, but uh, just really dealt, really, really dove into like a lot of like it gets very weird, but also gets very like heavy about like mental illness and and also just like what it means to be a woman in the modern world. And mm-hmm. I just love it's like it's not it walks a really good line of being funny and being like not afraid to make raunchy jokes, not afraid to make jokes at the expense of others. And, you know, but also have these really like interesting progressive elements in it. Like there's a whole episode about like the horror and pain of like a yeast infection (laughs) and, you know, just like playing, like talking about female anatomy and female health issues without any sort of like, like still making jokes, but not making jokes in the same way that like Jay Leno would have made a joke about it. Right. Like, um, and also like a whole episode that I love was like a pretty amazing parody of like rom-coms and that's kind of been done a hundred times right but like we were laughing the whole time because like the writing is just so so strong um they did do a weird thing where they recast a character from like the first or second season who wasn't around for a while Mm -hmm. but the show of course just is like they see him and they're like who is that like i don't know (laughs) this is like they really like the the meta-ness of the show also really is something that scratches an itch for me like they started they keep referring to the rest of the season and they're like, yeah, or the rest of the series. And they're like, yeah, the series of holidays we have that ends on yeah. Valentine's Day. Because that's the logical conclusion of how we track our holidays, right? And it's like, <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, you know, a little bit of community aspects in there. So um, one show I am, we are watching that I'm really sad about is AP Bio got canceled. And oh, the second season has been really funny. <laughs> like, first season was like, ah, this is okay. It's just, you know, Dennis being Dennis, but as, he's a teacher, right? Yeah. Um, but the second season really, which I think is, which I realize now based on both Craziest Girlfriend and AP Bio, and also we were watching Bless This Mess, which is kind of a weird choice because it's kind of one of those like, this is a pretty network sitcom kind of thing mm-hmm. with Dak Shepard and uh, Lake Bell. Uh, but like expanding your, your expanding your ensemble cast in a comedy, I think is one of the, sh- the smart ways, maybe easy ways, but smart ways to keep a show fresh and interesting and and make yeah. it fun to watch. I I remember when I, I didn't get too far into the second season of AP Bio, but where they really started to make it, you know, more about everybody, else, you know, where the, all the, you know, the kids were getting more storylines. The principal was getting more storylines. That's really when the show started to shine. Same thing with Baskets. Once, you know, they brought in his brother and his mom and made them, you know, more central characters, the show just got a lot better. Yeah, and I mean, there's a few shows I think that have 
I can't think of many comedies that haven't, I mean, I'm sure you can probably still say Seinfeld, but like that kept it to just, you know, the same three or four people for five, six, seven seasons and maintained like, cause you only get so many jokes out of that. Right. Well. Like Sunny, Sunny kind of, but Sunny also expand. You've got people like Rickety Cricket and like some reoccurring characters that really like bring a new, uh, yeah. you know, vibe to it at points. Well, Sunny is yeah. a tricky one. Um, Seinfeld, it was always the core group, but, um, once you got out of the first couple of seasons, you got more the non, you know, you, it was really Jerry's show, like in season one, but then it really spread out. And now you started to have more George stories mm. and then Kramer kind of became a full fledged character and Elaine and they all kind of, you know, so it, it did the same thing, um, a little bit. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I think you have to get there when once they realize it's not just about kind of the mar- the the marquee character, and you have to give these other people stuff to do. Yeah, I mean, I think that in a show like Sunny, or maybe even I haven't seen the the Netflix rest development seasons yet, but don't uh, okay. Um, but like those shows seem to keep it to like the main characters they yeah. initially introduced, but they're so good at the reoccurring jokes and nested humor. But that's hard. Like, those things are hard, I think. And they also started out as ensemble comedies. Right. Right. I mean, they they were never like, oh, it's the new, you know, it's the new Glenn Howard show. Oh, by the way, maybe let's give these other people something to do. It was always like, you know, these are the four or five main characters. So. Right. So I don't know. I know there's a big there's a big initiative to try and get some other network, you know, to pick up AP Bio. We'll see if it happens. Um yeah, but, it's a good show, but apparently Glenn Howard's been kind of getting on the anti-vax train lately. Yeah, I've heard that. Uh, so not great. I don't know about elevating him more at this <laughs> point, but yeah, here we are. Here we are. Um, I am excited though with the current trend of TV where shows are deciding to you know pick a time to end and do it. Yeah, uh, you know because Crazy Ex-Girlfriend did that, and now uh, I'm not caught up. But the good place is you know saying four seasons is going to be it. Like, I wish just more shows would do that. As yes. much as you hate to lose shows, but like have an ending, work towards it, be done. I mean, for me, and maybe it's just because I, I really only have room in my life for like one show at a time. Right. Just given the, you know, the amount of time I have to watch TV and the amount of attention I can give it. Um, I don't mind losing, because you're not losing the show. You know, how many times have I rewatched Frasier? You know, it's... Mm-hmm. It, it, it's always going to be there for you. It's just, and there's never going to be a time when there's just no new shows. Right. You know, let these people go, let them go do other things. And if you have a show that is telling a story over time, like the good place is like at some point you got to say, we got to, we got to get to the end here. Right. So do it. And then everybody can go to other things. Yeah. I mean, especially in today's age where like, there's just, so many tv shows like it's starting to get to the point where um you know you michael were talking about the point for game of thrones of like you know this being this perhaps might be one of the last times when you know people really get together and the workplace water cooler and like i'm kind of feeling that because like we talk about tv at work you know but we'll be like oh did you watch that show oh yeah we binge for the weekend it was pretty good cool Okay, like on to the next, you know, or like, oh, we should re- watch this show. I really liked it. Oh, okay, I'll, maybe I'll check it out then. And you put it in your list of a thousand shows that you might never watch. But, right. Uh, it really seems like there's like a, 
I don't think a better, better word for like a decentralization of like what people are watching. I mean, there's there's things that are still very much in the collective consciousness. Like everyone's gonna go watch Stranger Things, but once again, like the the drop of the asynchronous or the asynchronous nature of like watching stuff like that means that people are like, oh, did you watch Stranger Things? Oh yeah, we only got like four episodes, and oh, I finished it. Okay, we well, can't really talk about it then. So like that's. I think that it's much that that the nature of that has made it much harder to talk about television, to talk about the show, because just in personal conversation, you're, you're, you're in a situation where it's tough to have a conversation about the show because you're always at different points in viewing it, right? You're on episode four and I'm on episode seven. So it's tough to have a conversation because I don't want to spoil things for you. Even if I'm, oh, I want to only try to talk about the first four episodes. I don't remember what happened. You know, I can't say, oh boy, I can't mention such and such an event because that definitely for sure happened in episode five, you know? Mm. Um, But then when we're both, once we both watched all of it, it's hard to talk about the entire season, right? Right. In any kind of detailed way. Whereas when you've got like the appointment viewing experience of Game of Thrones, it's like our... Did you watch it? Great. Let's talk. And we can confine our conversation to that one episode. It's easy to talk about. We both remember clearly what was in it, as opposed to trying to think about 13 hours of television. And what are we going to talk about? You know, Mm -hmm. here it's like, okay, there's 60 minutes of content for us to talk about here. And then we can also talk about what we think is going to happen next week. Right. But it's just so hard to either talk about this kind of fuzzy, like, well, what have you seen? What was the last thing you remember happening? Well, did you did you see the scene? All I'll tell you is it takes place in a hotel room. You know, like, <laughs> uh, it's just, it's, so you end up not talking about it. And, yeah. and it's not just personal conversation. It's also, like, the larger cultural conversation. Like, you don't get really cool think pieces about episode six of The Punisher. Because right. you can't. You just kind of have to write one summary for the whole uh the whole thing yeah it seems like the current model for a lot of blogs at least that i follow are like they do their initial you know they get their first really early release of like the first like one to three or four episodes they do like a kind of initial blitz and then after it's all done they'll do a, a final wrap-up but yeah i mean the only other show that i can think of people still doing it is like walking dead but no one's really watching that anymore so like i mean and i know like different streaming networks services are are experimenting with different delivery models like we were kind of confused even though this is what happened last time like we just picked up you know handmaid's tale season three three yeah three Mm -hmm. um and they do the weird thing where they drop like three or four episodes and then and then it becomes weekly after that which is kind of like which i kind of like because it gets you into it yeah but it's also like a big tease because like you just forget you're like oh watch the next one oh we gotta wait a week after you just watch like four in a row you're like yeah. god damn it but it does yeah. like you said kind of slow you down and make you think about it and so I'm not sure where I feel because I, I feel really torn because like you know we talked about in the TV episode all those months ago years ago I don't know where I I personally am much more inclined to be into a show if I can binge it and like I rather have one long movie you know to watch and I tend to now that I'm a little more like aware of my tendencies like i focus on it and i really like it where you know and i think it is a different viewing experience and can change how you view shows like i remember the example i always use is walking dead season two which is generally panned but when i binge it i was like this wasn't so bad like you know yeah. but when you're waiting week to week and you're like nothing happened in this episode those things those moments don't 
appear as starkly when you're watching six episodes in a row. Yeah, I think, I mean, for me personally, the scheduled one episode a week system works so much better for me because it's easy for me to make time. Okay, one hour on Sunday night, going to sit down and watch this show, as opposed to trying to think like, well, I really want to watch this show, but then I feel like I really need to have like an afternoon ready to sit down and watch a bunch of episodes at once, or else I'm just going to bounce off it. And um, and it's not just, you know, because of, you know, my life with a two-year-old right now, but also, you know, I, you know, I'm still learning how to live with ADHD and realizing all the things that, you know, all the, the ways it's impacted me, but... One of those things is that I know that if I really want to pay attention to something, I've got to, I can give it two hours and then I need to go do something else or I'm going to tune out and start doing, mm-hmm. you know, and start looking at my phone or getting fidgety and or whatever. So if I if I don't have the option to watch the next episode, then I'm for sure going to really pay attention to this episode and then I've got a whole week to recharge and get ready for the next one. Um, And I like to digest a a show and think about it and process it. And if I have the option just to jump to the next one right away, I'm not really going to sit down and digest the way that I like. And I feel like I got a lot more out of Game of Thrones because I had a week to digest each episode and talk to other people about it and puzzle over it and chew on it. And when you binge it, you don't get that. So for me, getting it week to week is much better than um, than having it all at once. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I mean, I'm definitely like softening that because I first I was like, no, no, just give me it all. I want to just binge it. But now I'm kind of like, I do miss that. My concern now is it's like the week to week. I'm not getting the discussions because everyone's watching different shows. Right? Sure. Like it's like it's like this decentralization effect where there's so many streaming networks platforms there's so many and a lot of people are watching regular tv still like there's only adding more you know we're gonna get what apple tv plus and we're getting you know disney plus like we're gonna have everyone's gonna have five six streaming services and the amount of content that like at least you know and the other ones aren't there yet but they're probably ramping up like the amount amount of conflict or content that netflix puts out is insane i mean not all of it's like you know the best thing in the world, but like just the sheer amount of TV shows they put out is nuts. Yeah. Cause every, every time I log in, I feel like there's like eight shows across the top. That's like, I've never heard of before. And like probably in a week they're going to be gone and never heard of again. Like it's just, it's mind boggling, yeah. but they need to slow their shit down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They definitely do. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I am, I'm excited for something to replace game of Thrones in the collective consciousness if it can happen, but I'm not really sure what that's going to be. I don't know. I really don't know. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of people saying like this is the this was this is the last water cooler TV show, um, and I don't know that that's true, but but it takes a special show to capture everybody's attention. You know? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of streaming shows that have been like water cooler shows, at least in my office. I think they're yeah. I don't know the the making the murder that one was yeah. Um, and then the first season of Stranger Things that was yes. like big talk around the office a lot. Second season, though, is once again kind of just like, oh, did you watch it? Yeah, I liked it. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's all we can really talk about. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, I mean, maybe what could happen is we all realize this hole in our lives and you start, you know, you start get like getting like viewing clubs mm. where you've got a group chat and you all kind of commit, kind of like book clubs, right? Right. 
But instead, it's like, all right, um, you know, nobody skip ahead. This week, we're watching episode six, and then we're going to talk about episode six. And don't nobody watch episode seven because we're all going to have less fun if you skip ahead. You know, it's the honor system of like bar trivia where if people are cheating on the phones, nobody's having a good time. What the fuck are we doing? Right. Um, so, you know, maybe that's the future of it. Maybe we take our little Game of Thrones group chat that we had and we get those guys and we say like, all right, let's find a new show to watch. And we're all going to, you know, and we're all, we're only going to watch one episode a week. And just because it's more fun that way. I don't yeah. know. No, I think that's like, makes sense to me. Although I feel like with the internet makes it hard. Cause you're going to, it's just like, I mean, I, I kept up with stuff, but when I was in Spain, I was trying to watch the last episode and I forgot that HBO is region locked. So I couldn't watch it via my service. And then I downloaded some wonky VPN through which I was able to watch all but the last 10 minutes of the episode. And then I wish I didn't finish until literally yesterday. <laughs> Cause I was like, did, I already read it. I already, I couldn't avoid it. So I just committed to the fact that like, not that there was anything in particular, like spoiler. I got through all the important stuff. Sure. It was just the wrap up, but you know, like the, the, the daily you know, mall. The yeah, like the stuff around the small council table and whatever else, but um, which was fine. But uh, like I, I couldn't avoid it. Like I just there was it was everywhere. And even you know, I when you're even just logging in a streaming service, like Shay's like, oh, I keep logging in HBO to watch the show, and then I see a picture of like Cersei on the throne with a crown. I'm like, oh, that sucks. Like <laughs> you know, like way to go, Game of Thrones. You spoil yourself and your own freaking thing. I however, I do have things I want to watch. Yes, Chernobyl. Yeah. Heard it's too. great. Yeah. Uh, I've heard the Deadwood movie is quite good. Uh-huh. Um, and those are the big ones for me at this moment in time. And finishing Supernatural and Sabrina. What are you, what's on your, like, radar? Um, I definitely want to get into, I definitely want to watch Chernobyl. Um, I'm curious about Sabrina. I don't know. I don't really know what the next, after Chernobyl, what is going to be, like, my show that I sit down and, like, give my attention to. Um, I don't know. I keep telling myself I'm going to catch up on American Horror Story, but I've also been telling myself I'm going to catch up on American Horror Story for like the last six years, and it never <laughs> happens. Um, I just I think I like the idea of that show more than I like the show itself. Yeah. Um, have you been uh, watching any movies or anything? Um, I have watched a lot of garbage movies <laughs> because see, sometimes you just need to put something on while you fold laundry. Yeah. Or you just need something on in the background while you shop for sweatpants on the internet. And that thing is Hellraiser 2. Um, I, I've watched, I I don't know how many times I've watched Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2, but probably in the in the number of movies I've watched in my adult life and like number of repeat viewings, Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2 are probably at the top of the list. And I don't even like them. I don't know what it is about them. Or I'm just like, I need something vaguely horror-y to put on while I do something else. You just like all the weird sex stuff. I don't, though. And you um, just love Clive Barker. I kind of do. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a nut. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so I, I, and I also watched the latest Predator movie, which oh, is that? so bad. Oh, that sucks. And there are so many talented people involved in it. Yeah. But it's so bad. Yeah. Um, but there was something I watched that, uh, absolutely floored me. Um, and I have been thinking about ever since and is definitely the best movie I've seen in 2019 and will be tough to top, um, which is the, um, 2018 calling it a remake is 
weird. Um, but the 2018 Suspiria, as directed by um, uh, Luca Guadagnino, I believe is how you pronounce the name. Um, I heard that was really good. It is incredible. Highly divisive film. I will say I have not seen the original 1977 Suspiria. I understand its role in the history of horror films. It is it's something I want to see. So my review of this movie is independent of the original movie. This apparently is quite different in everything but the loose outline of the premise. But my goodness, this movie was something else. Um, I think the, the the only other movie that affected me as deeply was Hereditary last year. Um, but this, boom, I, I, I mean, it was incredible. I mean, first of all, um, there's only two um, male actors with speaking roles in the entire movie, and hmm. uh, they're barely in it. Uncommon for a horror movie. Yes. Um, the only major male character is played by Tilda Swinton, one of her three roles in this movie. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, but anyway, so the, so the loose premise is um, about an American girl played by Dakota Johnson, who um, I did not respect until seeing her in this movie. <laughs> um, uh, played by Dakota Johnson, who comes to Berlin in 1977 to join a dance troupe. Um, and the dance troupe is uh, also a coven of witches. Um, and they may, they are, and the witches are grooming her. And this is all stuff you'd get from the trailer. So I'm not spoiling anything. The witches are grooming her for some kind of ritual. She may be a sacrifice. She may be, you know, a vessel for another witch, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it is, it's a horror movie in, I guess, technically it's a horror movie and it's got some grisly imagery in it. So you know, not for the squeamish, but it's really a movie about um, about kind of power structures and hierarchies within female spaces and aging and women's bodies and young bodies and old bodies and um, structures of power and oppression and all of these things. And it's set against um, this period in, you know, the history of Berlin where there was, you know, rampant political upheaval and terrorism and um, all of these things. And the dance studio is literally like facing the Berlin Wall. (laughs) Um, It's, um, but it's also uses, you know, it's, it's a dance troupe and dance is such a key part of how the witches use magic and the story that's being told. And Tilda Swinton's character is amazingly written because you've got this character who is, she's one of the head witches, but also, and for many of them, the dance troupe is just a front for their other witchy things, but she is clearly very committed to dance and to the art of dance. And you, there's almost this tragedy of this character who like, Oh no, she's a dancer who ended up getting becoming a witch. Um, it's just incredible. Um, it's on Amazon Prime, so if you got a Prime subscription, you can watch it for free. But even if you don't, I this is I think if you like good movies and can tolerate some grisly imagery uh, and some ooky spooks, this is uh, not to be missed. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I have not watched any movies uh, at all since besides the 
theater movies. I guess no. Shay and I watched that wine country movie on Netflix, the Tina Fey Amy yeah, Poehler. Karen watched that. It was it was good. It was fine. If you like, I mean, you know what to expect with the cast that's in it. It's yeah. fine. Um, I feel like it could have. I feel like it, it really could have been longer. Like there's like a lot of characters just like I don't. Well, why this character's even in this movie? Like, yeah. Um, but it was fun. That Suspiria sounds pretty interesting, though. Uh, on a scale of, of one to Super Uker, what? How would you How would you rate it? On oh, yeah, on one to Super Uki, is that? What yeah, you? yeah, Super um, Uker. <laughs> I would say it's it's in the middle of the spookiness scale. Like, um, there's really only there's there's really only two scenes that are really like really horror scenes. There's a couple flashes of like spooky nightmares, but um, only two really horror scenes. The first one is difficult to watch, but it's an important part of the movie. The second one is very cartoonish. Gotcha. Uh, and it takes place at the end, and it's cartoonish for a reason. Um, but I would say it's worth it, even if you're squeamish. It's worth it. All right. Good to know. Maybe uh, we'll investigate. You should. Um, I think I have some downtime this weekend, so I might, I might watch a movie or two with some friends. Um, cool. Are you... I, I kind of want to go see Godzilla... And I, I also got my tickets for Spider-Man, which comes out in, like, three weeks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Snuck I mean, up on me. I hear Godzilla's just okay. Yeah, I heard it was, like, do you like... Or I heard people were, like, complaining, like, it's just basically this big monstrous fighting. I'm like, well, what do you want, then? Yeah, like, okay. good. <laughs> yeah, okay. That was the complaint about the first one, right? Was that it was, like, too much time spent on, like, I don't know, like, interpersonal drama or something, you know, silly like that. So, uh I most people who I trust seem to think it was good, but uh, I kind of want to watch the first one first. Like, like I have to at least get a little bit of background. But he's Godzilla. Yeah, that's I your guess. background. You know how I am, Greg. <laughs> it's a world where Godzilla is real. Yeah, and um, they're still they're still moving ahead with the Congress Godzilla movie. Fine, so. I guess whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm probably gonna see spider-man i mean I'll, I'll probably marvel fatigue will have passed me by probably by the time that gets here and i, I do like tom holland's spider-man then you get a nice big break until i guess we don't even know when the next i mean i guess they have the release dates out but we don't even know what comes out next yeah it's kind of nice don't. um how about that dark phoenix opening though Ooh, 33 million dollars for comparison endgame made 362 million dollars yeah. i mean look they, these movies have they've been Bad. I don't know why they've continued to make them. Um, it's almost I can't, I can't even snark on them anymore. They're just they're just bad. And they're boring and yeah. And they they should have stopped a long time ago. Yeah. And to hear the sort of like production things of like oh we we delayed it a year because we we rewrote and refilmed the entire third act. Cause it was too similar to both Captain Marvel and Civil War. I was like what? Like how is that? How's it possible? Right. <laughs> Those are like, two very different movies. I know. We're like we're like where's like you know I guess they originally had scrolls in it and there's some scenes of Jean Grey doing a lot of very Captain Marvel esque stuff with spaceships. Okay. And then I guess they also said like the movie ends in a very like tense scene between two characters you know who have opposing viewpoints but we both come to love i'm like oh my god let me guess is it professor xavier and magneto boy that relationship has not been done overdone and done again for these fucking 12 yeah, like, movies i can't watch i can't watch another movie where oh maybe magneto's good this time <laughs> oh no he's still bad like yeah. i can't do it anymore i just can't i'm not gonna i mean i don't even know if i'm gonna watch this thing when it just pops up on hbo you know in a year did uh, you ever watch apocalypse because i never yeah, did i did okay. it's bad that's right you did yeah it's bad it's just bad and boring yeah because it's it's all the same beats of every other x-men movie 
and I'm over it. And apparently they said that like this movie undoes a lot of what was done in Apocalypse, just like to her characters. The other thing I read is that one of the reasons it fails is because they actually say that like X-Men 3 does a better job at telling the Phoenix storyline than this movie does, even though this one's closer to the comics, because we actually cared about the characters by the time X-Men 3 came around. Like the the love triangle of Wolverine. Yeah. Jean Grey played by. Fonka Johnson. Yep. And Psychops played by. Uh, Liz Lemon's boyfriend. Yes. Um, oh, no. The star of Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, right. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, Versus, like, I guess, you know, uh, I'm liking her name. Girl Sophie plays Tur- Sansa. Sophie Turner. Sophie Turner. Like, not that she's a bad actress. We know she's a good actress from Game of Thrones. Like, But we haven't built up her. Built up everything. And definitely built up Cyclops. And Wolverine's on the movie. So it's just like that emotional heart of that story is just not there. And apparently it's just bad. <laughs> I'm also going to say this. I think we need to start separating when we think about these comic book stories. Separating good stories from stories that people are fond of. I understand that the Dark Phoenix storyline was a big deal in the history of the X-Men comics, but it's not very good. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of lame and tropey. Oh, the good guy turns into a bad guy for a while. And then the good guys are sad when they have to kill her. Like, it's just not that great. And the X-Men movies have not never done a good job of making me care about Jean Grey. And we know that they're all building up to Dark Phoenix because that's the big one that they have to do. So mm-hmm. there's no surprise. There's no tragedy to it. And maybe don't, maybe stop with this. Maybe stop trying to make Dark Phoenix happen because maybe it was never that great to begin with. And, you know, like one of the reasons that Infinity War and Endgame worked is because they basically threw out everything from the original Infinity Gauntlet stuff. Yeah, for sure. And and they didn't and they just made it, you know, they just used that as a setting to tell a better story. Um and I don't know. Yeah, I mean Endgame X-Men, is like Endgame is like almost entirely Yeah. It's not it's not based on I mean there's there's things from things, but like it's not based on any storyline that I'm aware of at least. No, no. It was like they were they were finishing the story that they had. And they used Thanos wants to kill everybody, has the tool to do it. That's really all that's really left from the original Infinity Gauntlet storylines. Mm-hmm. So they just did good stuff as opposed to trying to tell this old story that just doesn't, it never really, I mean, if you look back on it, it's never that great to begin with. Like if you look back on Crisis on Infinite Earths with like the DC world and like, oh, that was this big seminal moment. It's actually not that great in hindsight. It's kind yeah. of dumb and bad and cartoony and 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 boring and and stupid and overdone. So we have to separate these things that were like it was a big moment in comics history from oh this is a story that must be told. Yeah, and I think Marvel's done a good job of not being beholden to that. Like you know, any even even when like certain movies have taken a lot from a storyline, like Winter Soldier or Hearts of Ragnarok. Or civil, not even really civil war, right? Yeah, like, no, was... like, but they're taking. They say they're taking premises. They might take a few cool scene, like imagery or scenes or whatever, but not like not taking the Zack Snyder method of put adopting it panel by panel, right? And not taking the oh, we gotta take this story. Gives you're right because like whenever Jean Grey's on the screen, is you're just like looking for any sign of the Phoenix Force entering her or being part of her, right? Or, like, developing, and you're like, okay, um, 
yeah. I truly think I was reading some articles about like what you know, kind of what what Marvel should do and storylines, and I read some pretty pretty scathing reviews of like '80s and and like '80s and early '90s, mid '90s like X Men comics of just like is it Claremont? Is that who is writing it? Yes. Like basically, I read pre skating and just like none of this is good, <laughs> and I was like, "Ooh, wow, ouch!" That's considered like the golden era of X Men, right? And basically, that like X Men became X Men had such staying power because of like Wolverine and because of the way it was adapted towards people in my group, my generation, like the animated shows and the, and the movies, like it did very well for like action figures and video games and things like that, as opposed to some of the other Marvel comics, you know, I'm not sure you, I'd be curious your perspective. I know you were pretty into X-Men at that point, right? Yeah. Although, I mean, it's tough to remember because you know, it was, yeah, you were a kid. <laughs> I was, a, yeah, I was, I was, I was basically an old child at that point. But, <laughs> um, I mean, I think the difference is that nineties X-Men was really like just all out science fiction and like, time traveling you know babies from the future and um mojo world and just all out and that's not necessarily bad but what i think the x-men movies got wrong is they tried to take 90s x-men stories but tell them in a like more grounded non-crazy wacky sci-fi kind of way right because honestly the the way the 90s X-Men needs to be in the Guardians of the Galaxy type world, yeah. right? Like all out crazy cartoonish because that's what those stories took place in. Um, and but then to set them in like this, like, oh, no, it's, you know, this kind of vaguely historically accurate version of the 90s. It's just not working, man. It's. Yeah. And, and also, again, I just don't think that those storylines are great. I mean, unless you're going to adapt them like really and go all in on the settings and the craziness and the wackiness and the soap operaness of what the X-Men was, you're always leaving something behind and the equation isn't really going to balance. So I don't know how you get the X-Men right. The best X-Men movie is Logan by 10,000 degrees. <laughs> followed and, by Deadpool, followed yeah. by... <laughs> and, they, and, and, and those movies work because they're like... We're going to take the character and we're going to do what makes the most sense here. We're going to tell the best story we can and we're not going to try to tie this into other things. Um, we're going to make this work within the context of movies and um, man, I want to watch Logan again now. <laughs> yeah, I think my guess is that Marvel's going to let it lie for a little while and just kind of see where things are going. So I really don't know how they integrate them in the MCU. There's a lot of methods, but none of them sound good to me um, because like. I don't know, the the allegory of, you know, mutants for racism is just like, there's ways you could probably update that and make it interesting, given the current climate and situations, but, like, it still feels like, yeah, we get it, like, I know, like, it's been, it's been the allegory for 50 years, and it's not really, like, developing much or changing. Well... I don't know. We So, I think either, if you still want to have X-Men be a racism allegory, I think you need to recalibrate what... Um, like, cause you need to talk about racism in a modern context, right? Where it's about institutional racism, where it is about, um, you know, it's not, they're passing the mutant registration act. We're right? putting you in concentration camps. Right. Which is not really certain notable exceptions excluded, um, uh, where it's, it's, 
yeah, what is the experience of racism in America today? How does racism manifest in America today? And how do you superimpose mutants onto that? Um, I think it, it could totally be done, but I think you need to look at it that way, not, which is again, this allegory for 60s racism, which was really an ad- allegory for like 1940s racism. <laughs> um, yeah. Or you could make it, you could take it away from the racism and alle- racism allegory and make it an allegory for, um, you know, the LGBTQ experience, which I think might even be more fitting because often that experience is invisible. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of, you know, the mutant characters, it is invisible for them. And the fact that, you know, in the canon of X-Men, your mutant abilities manifest at puberty, which is oftentimes when, you know, sexuality tends to manifest for people. And when many people might start confronting their own um, sexual identity. And it that might be a better fit and that might be more poignant for today's world. Not to say that racism doesn't matter, but um, it might be a, a better fit today. Yeah, I mean, there definitely was a, definitely a little bit of that vibe, I think, in some of the X-Men movies from the 2000s. Yeah. Like, I, stuff with Rogue and stuff with Iceman, I definitely remember that being, like, kind of a little bit on the nose. But um, definitely interesting. I, I definitely think you could do something interesting with, like, if you're going to go the more LGBT analog route, like... Because one of the things I always liked, one of the... And they talk about it in the movies, but they also just, like, move their way around it very annoyingly. Uh, especially in the new trilogy with Beast being able to, like, turn his Beast form on and off. Like, no. Like, yeah, the, no. The, the whole point, point of that character is that he is blue and furry and he can't point. hide it. That's the whole idea here. <laughs> so, but that, I think the form there's a lot of interesting things going on within the LGBT community of, like, at least from what I've read and heard. Um, just, like, of, like, the invisibility of certain kinds of, like, uh, the visibility versus invisibility of certain members or certain, um, uh, sexualities or, uh, points of transition, these sort of things of, like, you know, and, like, almost, like, uh, internal debate and, and strife of, like, what is being bisexual feel like be- versus being a lesbian versus being gay and how society perceives those things differently and can you, quote-unquote, hide versus not hide or, um... Not high is not the right word, but, you know, pass, pass, I guess is the right word. Um, these kind of things and, and how you and also there's other sort of um, ways of, of presenting yourself. Right. Like uh, I'm blanking on my terminology that I have learned right now, but, um, you know, like how you tend to show your gender and these kind of things like that could be there could be some interesting things there. Like if you set up the instead of making Professor X and Magneto, the Martin Luther King kind of and. Malcolm X analogs kind of like you pick some other sort of dichotomy within that like a different analog that could be kind of interesting right I mean I think there is um, I I, I think that you can update it and I think you also can lean into the soap opera nature of of the X-Men and you know dig into that because that was a big part of the comics that they're all sleeping around and mm-hmm. there are all these love triangles and stuff and i think if you do that right that can be fun and interesting and if you you know hey maybe maybe the um the way you do x-men right is not as a movie series but as a um mock reality show like a VH1 style, like it's just trashy. Like it's just a bunch of hot people just giving each other diseases in a mansion. (laughs) Like that could actually be okay. 
Real Housewives of the Danger Room. Right. Except, yeah, except one of them's <laughs> made of metal. Like, that's the... I don't... Mm, all right. Hey, Fox, call me. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot right now, Greg. Uh-huh. If you were going to make an X-Men movie in the MCU, uh-huh. regardless of what route you go, and you've had to pick five X-Men to be in it, who'd you pick? Okay, so it's got to it has to exist in the current MCU. Uh-huh. I need to have five... X Men in it, yeah, um, like, like as your core team. I'm not yeah. saying you can't have cameos, or and we'll exclude the leader. You can have Professor X or whoever you want to be, like the boss. Yeah, it's got to be Professor X. Okay, Professor X is too cool of a character not to have, not to have. But but I still need a team of five X Men um, or X Chickens, as you know, Magneto would like to call them in that amazing arcade game. <laughs> A good game. A good um, game. <laughs> okay, so first of all, Gambit is never on the list because Gambit is a garbage <laughs> character for garbage people. Um, so no Gambit. Um, so I think Jean Grey um, because I think that the Jean Grey Professor X relationship is, can be done interesting and well if you start with it. Start with her as the center of your story, not Mystique. Um, Correct. So okay, okay, Jean Grey. Um, I think a. Uh, mm, uh, I think I think Iceman as your wisecracking comic relief, good. Um, boy, I feel like you need Cyclops, but you need to do Cyclops in a way where he's not insufferable. And that's why, it would be, and that's why I think you can't have Wolverine because when you have Wolverine and Cyclops next to each other, Cyclops always looks bad. Yeah. So I need a, I need a Scott Summers who I can like. Um, okay, so that's three. I need two more. So, you're, so so far you're three for three for the original team. Yeah, man, it's, it's almost like it's almost like uh, Stanley knew what he was doing. Maybe at one point. Uh, okay, 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 okay. Um, so now I want somebody who's not from the original team, just because I want to mix it up. I've always liked Colossus. I, I I've, I've always liked you know, I've always liked the guy who's super tough and super strong, but he's also just a big softy inside. I think there's always something poetic about that. But I also feel like we're overbalancing it towards male characters. So maybe we take Colossus out and we put Storm in um, because I think Storm is interesting and has a cool power set and it's kind of an iconic character. Um, plus, my team is looking very white. <laughs> True. Um, all right. So that's four. And then I get one more Hachimachi. Um, and I can't use Wolverine and, um, hmm, man, I don't know who's, who's the fifth. I'm blanking, but it's not Gambit. I, you know what? Here's, here's kind of what I want. I kind of want it to be Cable. <laughs> um, okay. Because I kind of like the idea of that your original team is, um, a pre-relationship Gene and Scott and also their son from the future. <laughs> That's true. That would be interesting and but I also, But I also want, I don't want, um, he's not Cable, he's, because there was one, there was a version of Nate Summers that in the 2000s they did as X-Man. X-Man, yeah. Where he's Great. a little younger, he doesn't have the cyborg stuff yet. And he's super fucking powerful, he's basically a god. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I really like the idea of setting that up, of like, yeah, no, he's our son from the future, but we're not really talking right now. <laughs> Because they're going to be like, you know, I like them being like young 20-somethings. Like, they're both like college age, Mm -hmm. sowing their wild oats, overconfident, and he's like 25. (laughs) 
Uh, could get awkward. Uh, yeah, that's what I want. I want yeah. awkward soap opera shit yeah. from my X-Men. All right, all right. Uh, my team's just going to be who has the most pouches. It's going to be like, you know, <laughs> Gambit, Cable, Bishop, Deadpool, and we'll just start Wolverine for extra edge factor. Oh, I just described X factor. Okay, never mind. Um, edge factor, X factor. Okay, I'm just getting it now. Uh, interesting. I actually just thought you were just going to logic yourself into just the original team. <laughs> but, you know, it makes hey, sense. Like, I mean, a- as you said it, I was like, yeah. I mean, I was thinking, like, I, I'm thinking I would actually stick. He could probably swap out Angel. Yeah, he didn't bring much personality. No. I like know? the, he could be a good, like, foil for, like, demonstrating privilege and things like that being rich and but yeah. you could also probably you could also probably just make him not that and be fine too yeah um, I, mean, I think you could do some interesting stories between him and beast where you've got beast who's like i'm a hideous monster and you could set him up to be like oh this is the this is the guy who you know um you know you know born to you know no privilege but studied super hard but he's also a blue monster and then you've got this super rich kid who's like this beautiful um embodiment of christian ideals you know yeah um and have some conflict there that could be interesting yeah and i i think i might go with the if i had to choose i think i might go with that some sort of variation on original team like that um but beast is definitely blue from the beginning because yeah. Beast only got interesting when he became blue yeah. for me, at least. And I, because I, I started a, at one point, I was kind of an insane person. I was just like, I'm gonna read every X Men comic. And I just started from issue one and just started going. I got well, pr- I didn't get to when they introduced the new team, like when they introduced Wolverine and Storm and all them. Yeah. Um, I think if we were gonna push it to six, I definitely would throw in. I think Storm would be like a very good pick because we haven't really had a. a at least what I think is like a good representation of Storm on screen. Yeah. Um, just because she's so she's such a such a badass in the comics, but not in like the dumb like you know oh she's really strong and powerful like you know she's just like the the poise and self respect and like the nature of her story just makes her such an interesting character. I think. Yeah, and I think there's something interesting about her comics origin of like I was worshipped as a goddess in my. Yeah you know, in, in my home country and now I'm a refugee and I'm, you know, and now I'm treated like, um, like a third class citizen here. Right. I think that's interesting. And then you could, a lot of things you could do with that. And also, you know, I like, you know, I like the idea of like, she was, you know, she drank the Kool-Aid for a while and thought she was a goddess. And now like also made, no, you know, you know, having her like get cut down to size a couple times. Yeah, and, and like, sort of, I always liked the, weirdly, the sort of, like, vying for leadership aspect of the X-Men. I always sort of liked, you yeah. know, in times when Fresher X would be like, you know, we need a leader. I need to go away for a little while. Like, my people need me. <laughs> um, you know, and it'd be like, you know, who's going to be in charge? Cyclops or Wolverine or Storm or, you know, and um, th- that's one thing is that, like, as we're talking about it, it's like, man, X-Men do have some really good characters. Like, they're visually fun. They've got cool powers. They have a personality. I mean, they have a backstory that's usually pretty interesting. Like, it is a, a definitely an era, a corner of the comics that is a little more diverse. And, you know, you can not that you can make Cyclops black or whatever you wanted to do. Like, that's completely reasonable. Sure. Um, but, you know, characters that already have a place of in like, you know, people's minds of like Storm being this like icon of 
being a strong black woman and and has been that since you know the 70s and that's really cool uh so to honor that history is important so i don't know i mean there's a lot of stuff to work with there uh i hope that they do it right i mean i i like I said, I think they're going to let it lie for a little while and just kind of let people get the memory of everything else kind of out of their mind and also have less to compare it to. Yeah. Because it's going to be hard to... Like you said, if you if you put out a Wolverine movie in a year or two, it's going to be like, oh, man, Logan's pretty fucking good, dude. <laughs> or if you yeah. wait five years, it's like, ah, well, that was a long time ago, you know? It's going to be real tough to do anything Wolverine-related in movies for a while. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, like you said, if you... And, Going with a iteration of the original team, it also pleases comic purists, right? Like, you know, kind of get the best. If you, if you can make a good story out of it and have compelling characters, then. Well, that's the thing is, I think one of the things that we've learned from the MCU experience is that you don't have to be that pure to the comics. I think you have to be true to the characters, you know, mm-hmm. but um, people weren't up in arms that. um Hawkeye and Black Widow were on the original Avengers team. Like, no, it's supposed to be Ant-Man. You know, like they were like, no, these are good characters. They work well together. I'm not, you know, I'm, I I don't need to check every box of like how true to the comics it is in that respect. I think, you know, I think what people come to these movies for is, is the characters when it's done well. Right. And if you've got good characters and you're putting them together in ways that, you know, let them do their thing to the fullest, it's going to work out. I mean, again, the best one of all these comic book movies, I would say, is Logan. Like, it is of whether we're talking of all the recent comic book movies, however you define that set. I think we'd all agree Logan is probably the best movie. Um, and that threw it all away. It was just like, these are the characters. You know two of them. We are putting them in an entirely new scenario. And it's going to be awesome. And it was. Mm-hmm. And I think, so I think... As audiences, we've given the filmmakers the latitude of like, be true to the characters, do right by the characters, and we're good. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah, cool. Uh, well, I didn't mean to go down like a half hour X-Men it's thing, where we are. but that's where we are. Talking about um, the X-Men for half an hour. I did want to ask you about Batman, but it's getting kind of late. All right, quickly, let's talk about Batman. <laughs> did you hear the rumors today that uh, obviously we know that Robert Patterson is playing Batman in the Christopher, uh, ooh, I'm playing on his name now. I'm, I've lost it as well. Um, the guy who made the Planet of the Apes movies, that guy, um, the new ones, uh, he's Robert Patterson's playing Batman. There are now rumors that it's going to be set in the 90s, that also there are rumors that the four villains are going to be Riddler. Four? Yes. Uh, in- you know, villains in quotation marks, uh, Riddler, Catwoman, Firefly, and Penguin. That's got to be that's got to be a fake. I'm assuming so. Like are you um, not that they would be a, it would be an absurd idea. I think that four. especially given what we've heard of him is is it Reeves? Chris Reeves is not Christopher right. Reeves, yes. Yes. Um that he said is like no, he wants to do Matt Reeves. Matt Reeves. Christopher Reeves, Reeves was Superman. Superman. <laughs> yeah, I'm like that's not right. Uh Matt Reeves. Um I was thinking Chris I was, there's so many Christopher's out there. Uh <laughs> given that he has said he wants to do like a more grounded early career more detective Batman I don't think like Firefly and Penguin and Riddler all fit into that along no. with Catwoman probably playing her typical role of like you know kind of a villain but yeah. 
Also, I feel like they probably want to explore some unexplored characters. Like, honestly, like, the Penguin is not a particularly interesting villain. Like, somehow Gotham decided to make him, make it one of, make him one of their, like, main characters, but I don't think it's a good idea in general situations. He's best as, like, a side character or just, like, a gimmick, um, in generally speaking. There's probably something interesting you do. Firefly, not this kind of movie. He would be fine in a, you know, if you want to do a sequel to Batman and Robin sometime, go back to that universe, but, um... Riddler maybe could be good, but you'd be, I mean, just gotta bring back Jim Carrey for that, right? You no. just enjoyed that movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> Go listen to a 1985 the podcast review of Batman Forever because they loved Woof. it. Woof. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that they are, they might be seeding that rumor just to throw everybody off, you know, and, 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 um, I can't imagine that they're going to. Now they might, you know, include these characters and say like, okay, we're going to cast these characters because we know we're going to do a bunch of these movies. So you might meet Edward Nigma in this movie, but he's not going to be the Riddler until the next movie. Right. They might be doing something like that or, but I hope they're not um, getting too far ahead of themselves with these things. I have, look, I have no problem on paper with Robert Pattinson as Batman. Like, I don't know. I know he was in the Twilight movies, but I have I have no reason to doubt him. I mean, there, there's the classic example of, well, when Heath Ledger, when they cast him as the Joker, we were all like, oh, the guy from 10 Things I Hate About You? <laughs> like, come on. It, fine. Yeah, and he's done like mostly indie stuff since then and apparently is quite a good actor, so I, I really don't want to worry see about. His, his new movie, The Lighthouse. Uh, oh, yeah, I heard that was really good. Basically him and Willem Dafoe, and it's directed by the guy who did The Witch. So then apparently things get a little eldritch at the end. So I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Give me that. But anyway, <laughs> I'm like, I'm fine. I don't have a problem with that in theory. Um, I just, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm down to see a Batman movie that doesn't suck. I mean, they've made four so far Batman movies that don't suck. So I don't know. Maybe they'll get this one right. Probably not. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, he seems like a pretty good director. Like, he seems like he's done pretty good stuff. Um, yeah. I'm not really keen on it being set in the 90s. Like, that's just not an interesting time period for me. Like, I either want to have it be set in present day, or you go back and set it in, like, the 40s or 50s or something like that. I would really like to, and we've talked about this before, I would really like to see a Batman movie that takes place in, like, the 40s. Um, I would really like to see that. I One of the reasons I'm okay with the 90s setting is because... The role of technology is important with Batman mm-hmm. and scaling back the level of technology in the world he's he lives in depowers him a little bit. Yeah, that's true. So I'm kind of into that. One of the reasons I'm a little less OK with it is because when I think of 90s Batman, I think of Michael fucking Keaton. Right. Like we already have a not Batman set in the 90s. We don't need another one. And those were good. Those were really good. So I haven't I seen know. those in years, man. I should really rewatch at least definitely the second one. The first one gets better every time I watch it. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just nostalgia, but um, I think the I second just, one is a lot weirder than people remember. It's a lot darker. Yeah. Anyway. So Batman. Batman. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. Uh, does that, that trigger movie comes out this year, right? Yeah. I'm actually looking forward to that. I think that's, um, I think it's actually this summer. Yeah. It's kind of like, it was, there's a lot of people talking about it when the trailer came out and it was just been like radio silence since then. I yeah. feel like, but as it kind of happens, uh, yeah, cool. So, I mean, the only thing we didn't really get to talk about tonight was, like, video games. Um, yeah. Do you want to go on a rant about George R. R. Martin? It's a and... short rant. Okay. So, this has been, like, 
this rumor really picked up like the day after the Game of Thrones finale was, and it been kind of whispered about that George R. R. Martin had been working on a video game with uh, Miyazaki, who makes the the Dark Souls, Bloodborne, Sekiro series um, of video games. And that rumor's been kind of like, Ugh. and then it really picked up steam, like, again, like right after. And then just in advance of E3, um, the title got leaked, uh, basically confirming, and then the trailer came out with E3. And the game is called Elden Rune, um, and it is it is a Miyazaki game by From Software, um, and they're crediting it as like a world designed by George R. R. Martin or something like that. So his actual involvement is a little unclear. Uh, but the trailer, it is definitely a dark fantasy situation, but much more fantasy than, you know, um, uh, the Game of Thrones type stuff. Like it is much more like gods and monsters, mythic fantasy than what we're used to from Martin. But, um, so this is causing quite an existential crisis for me <laughs> because, first of all, the Miyazaki games, the Dark Souls series, Bloodborne. I mean, Bloodborne might be my favorite video game, period. Um, but certainly that lineage of games, his games are my favorite video games by a by a big margin. Um like, I feel like they they are head and shoulders above other video games in so many ways. Big, important ways. And I've also, on this podcast, made clear many, many times that I have no fucking patience for anything George R. R. Martin does that is not finishing The Winds of Winter. <laughs> but, oh man, now he made a game with my favorite game, man, and I just don't know what to think anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I it's the trailer looked kind of weird. Like, it seems like a definitely a, a different style setting for him yes. to, to work in. It's not like horror or it still seems dark, but not in the same kind of dark and like, you know, yeah. like robot arms. And like, it looks almost like some of the armor and stuff reminds me of what I imagine some of the stuff in uh, Stormlight Archives looks like. Yeah, it's a little bit more epic fantasy, um, you know, barring more from like what you would expect from like maybe a Final Fantasy or, or a Legend of Zelda type giant shoulder pads and Mm -hmm. um, angel wings kind of situation. Uh, So, yeah, so that's a little bit out there for for Miyazaki and for Martin, really. Yeah. I mean, it'll probably be good. Sounds like this guy doesn't make bad games. Yeah, Miyazaki has not had a miss um, yet. I mean, ever since since Dark Souls, he's been just hit after hit. So I'm going to buy it. I mean, money's already spent, basically. (laughs) I mean, I haven't pre-ordered it because, you know, don't pre-order games, but right, um, right. Goddamn. Yeah. Uh, what have you been playing? Well, Sekiro. Um, yeah, I I actually just finally beat it um, this past weekend, and then dived right into New Game Plus because because uh, I'm a monster that way. But <laughs> yeah, Sekiro is really good. Um, it's not it's not as deep as Bloodborne in terms of everything it has going on story wise, world wise. Um, but it's really good. I mean, it's uh, it's interesting because it's kind of a, you know, it's an action RPG, but um, unlike a lot of other action RPGs, there's no weapon progression. Like, you don't get new weapons. You don't upgrade your weapon. Um, you get these little kind of special moves that you can swap in and out. But essentially, this game is, is about uh, you parry and you attack. And that is how you deal with every single enemy and every single boss. Um, so it is just sword play, which is awesome. 
Like, it's just like, no, you just have a sword and you can parry things and you can and you can attack things and you can get parried. And that's fucking it. <laughs> um, uh, so it's and, and since it has this kind of feudal Japan setting and you're a ninja and you're fighting samurai and various samurai type of monsters it's just it's really really good in that respect of like you just get through this whole game just getting good at one mechanic that seems interesting i've heard i mean everyone said it's good so yeah i mean it's if you like that sort of thing and i like that sort of thing um is there anything else from eq that you're pretty excited for that avengers game looked kind of interesting uh i'm getting more and more interested in cyberpunk 2077 oh yeah yeah, yeah. the next game from the witcher boys mm-hmm. um Especially now that Counter Reeves is involved somehow. I, I'm glad you brought Counter Reeves up. I was just thinking today in the car. I was thinking about I just read some article about Counter Reeves, and I was thinking about what an interesting like career that guy's had. Because like 10 or 15 years ago, people were not nice to Keanu Reeves, and it sounds like from like just people just panned his acting, panned his acting style. He was in a bunch of garbage movies, like. Just really was at a low point, and like people was like, you know, oh, they're, you know, like joking, like, oh, there's no, there's no Keanu Reeves when it comes to acting, and now he's like universally loved, and it's just like it's something like he's just like because he's just like a really nice guy. Yeah, so I think, and that was part <laughs> of the thing, like when he came out and like did his kind of surprise E3 presentation, and like he's like reading this super hackneyed script about the game, but like you just tell the audience was just like, that's fucking Keanu, we love you, and he was just like feeding that back to the crowd and like just this kind of genuine charisma that he he has, and I think that somehow via essentially via John Wick. He has figured out how to translate his charisma on screen. And he never really got there until John Wick. Mm-hmm. But it's really weird that he somehow has figured out how to break through. Because it, it does seem like in um, you know, in, in his interviews and just what you hear about him as a person, you're like, he seems like a genuinely like nice guy, nice to be around. Like there's this thing that's circulating the internet now is like people have figured out that like whenever he's taking pictures with women, like either fans or other actresses or whatever, like he always finds a way to not like put his hands on them. Mm-hmm. You know, like he never he's never like putting his arms around them or like putting his hands on their waist or anything like that. And you're just like, what a fucking polite guy. You know, like he's taking a picture with his fans and like he's going out of his way to make sure he doesn't make them feel uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, by like putting his hands on them or like it's a publicity shot with another actress, you know, and it's just like, oh, he's not like he's not like, you know, touching them without being invited. Like, what a fucking nice guy. If you like just noticing this, like, <laughs> um, but you're like, but somehow he's managed to break through and like it's weird. But well, it's nice because like because like, you know, like years and years of being dumped on like could have a tendency to make someone in the public spotlight be like bitter or like not friendly or just like give up. And like now he's having this like renaissance in his career where he's like, he's doing John Wick. That's awesome. He's, he's in the new toy story, I think. Right. Yeah. Like he's in this video game. Like they're doing another bill and Ted, like he's in some other comedy coming out that I was watching a talk show clip of. And, um, I forget what it's called, but like, He's just like, yeah, I'm back, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's it's something about, like, he figured out how to not take himself seriously without making himself a joke. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's... He's like he's more relaxed now, and that I think is what it's what's allowing the charisma to come through. Um, it's like he's not trying as hard to act, but it also doesn't seem like he's like phoning it in. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a weird mix, but he's got it, and I think we're all on board for it. So, yeah, hooray! (laughs) 
So, but anyway, so yeah, he's in that game. That's that's cool. Um, I like the trend of like some you know bigger actors getting involved in video games that aren't just gimmicks. Yeah. Um, I guess that's still left to be to you know left to be determined if he's it's the if it's a gimmick or not. But uh, yeah, so I don't like that. I like the idea that um, Avengers game because it uh, you know the idea of playing different characters at the same time with your friends that seem very different play styles seems kind of fun. Um, I always like those asymmetrical style games. They need to fix those character models, though. Yeah, they don't look great. The art style is pretty bad. Those are weird. Um, I just, I'm not used to seeing somebody who... I'm not used to seeing a Tony Stark that isn't Rob Dowdy Jr. They got to fix that for me somehow. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say that I'm more excited for the other Avengers game coming out in a couple of weeks. I guess about a month. Uh, Marvel Avengers Ultimate Alliance 3. Oh, that's right. They made another Alliance game. Yep. Switch exclusive. Which is fine, because that's exactly the place where that should live. Yep. <laughs> and uh, it's coming out right in time. We're having another... Uh, so my friends decided that you probably were invited to this or told about it. Like, uh, my, you know, the bachelor party was so much fun. Let's just do it again, but not <laughs> yeah, celebrate anybody. So, and that game comes out, like, the weekend before. And we're like, oh, God, this is perfect, because it's the perfect game to just, like, sit around and just be like, this game is nonsense and fan service yeah. out the wazoo, but just that's exactly what it should be. Get just smashing tr- buttons and... Get drunk and mash x for a couple hours yeah pretty much so that's that's exciting there was a time we were playing ultimate alliance 2 and we were just like playing it for like six hours at a time it's like what are we doing <laughs> uh but yeah they're fun for a reason right so um i'm much more excited for that game than i am the other avengers game yeah. although i hope they can make like just gotta look at you know some of the good comic book games like spider-man and batman and like just make some good ones so but yeah, so I think we I think we pretty much like uh, hit all the bases tonight. Right? I think we did. Yeah, I think we're all caught up. Uh, so uh, we're back, baby, <laughs> or something. <laughs> um, you have anything else to uh, to bring up? Uh, no, I um, I uh, I have to go to the bathroom. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, we are old now. I'm a little sleepy. My sleep schedule has been on the earlier side for coming back from Spain, which is which is probably positive for me as an adult, but. Uh, not my, I'm not, I'm railing against it internally. So you'll survive. Uh, we'll probably be back soon with hopefully a metal part two, probably a Spider-Man yeah, discussion. Yeah. I'll probably see Spider-Man. Although I guess it depends on what weekend it comes out. Cause it comes out on a Tuesday. If it comes out the same weekend as midsummer, I'm seeing midsummer. So yeah, it comes out on a Tuesday cause it's July 4th weekend, which is mm. weird. That but. might be the same weekend as Midsummer, and sorry, Spidey, you're not winning that face-off. Yeah, I heard that's that's looking real. That's looking real good. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, it's the next movie by um, by uh, by the, the the dude who did Hereditary. So yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna not see it. I don't have a choice. That's very fair. That's very fair. So, all right, well, all right, guy. I'll talk to you later. Later.